0: It is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, here's your first question. My three-year-old daughter has an awful habit of making herself sick. She started doing it at one years of age, still does it two years later. It's getting more frequent as of late. It starts with her sucking two of her fingers, and then she puts more in, and they are going too far back her throat until she's sick. She doesn't know why she does it, as I ask every time she does it, but I think she likes the feeling of her hand in her mouth, but that's a total guess. As a baby Maybe I put it down to teething, so maybe she's used to doing it. I need it to stop, apart from it being messy. I'm worried about how often she's sick. The crash have commented on it too.
1: Oh, it's a, that's a tricky one, that's isn't it? One. I mean, <laughs> like children sucking on their fingers is not unusual at all, especially at a young age. Yeah. It can be teething. It can be nothing to do with teething. Children just like to do that. But then it's the how many fingers and clearly how far back. Either she's a very sensitive gag Reflex response or she's managing to get those fingers fairly deep down her throat to to emit this vomit. Mm. So, I mean, first of all, of course, go to your GP. Okay, when a child is doing that, make sure there's no obstruction. There's nothing bothering her in the back of her throat that she's reaching down into. And also, given how long she's doing it, making sure she hasn't done any damage to herself yes, by doing it, yeah. OK? Um, again, I would also GP and dentist because that's quite a long history of vomiting. And I would just, again, like her teeth, you know, all the dental enamel kind of works looked at as well. They're th- now, look, don't be shocked if both of those t- turn back and say, look, it's nothing medical, it's nothing physiological like that. Also ensure that you're not overfeeding her this can be a thing with toddlers. Like, okay, you yeah. know, as parents, I think we can get really fixated on our, our, are they eating enough and, you know, make sure you eat it all. And toddlers, particularly when they're in crash and that they graze a bit. They're having, you know, numerous small meals in the day. So just see if you can track a pattern. If there is a pattern to her doing this, is she more likely to do it after a meal or in the 20, 30 minutes after a meal mm. when it wouldn't take a lot? to elicit that vomiting response if the food is still being digested. So just those are the things that I would first, let's rule out the if you like, the obvious stuff, just to make sure. And then it's it can be because she's doing this for, what is it, two years now? Um, it can be habit formation. You know, she's just used to doing it. It's a little, it's t- times when she's tired, distracted. She may find the sucking of her fingers relaxing. It's kind of like thumb sucking. Onto, really? Exactly. Yeah. Until that point of vomiting. I'm wondering, though, is she distressed when she vomits? Is she upset about it or is it just, oh, there it is. Now I'm done. You know, is that the completion? Yeah, I wonder if she's doing doing? it to make herself sick or being sick is just
0: a byproduct of having fingers in the mouth. I think that's
1: important to try and work out actually with her. But if she can form one habit, the good news is she can form a different habit, you know. So that's, you know, my positive reframing of habit formation (laughs) in that age is they can form habits. So watch your reactions to her. Stay calm, stay neutral, don't rush in, don't overreact. I mean, you don't want to ignore it, obviously, either, but you might come in and name, but don't shame. You know, oh, you were sucking on your fingers, your fingers went too far back in your throat, and that made you sick. Let's clean it up. Yeah. And you're just doing that. Obviously, when you see her doing it, because I'm noticing it starts with two fingers, then it's more until she vomits. So if you yeah. can catch her on the two fingers, redirect and distract her, get her doing something that involves her hands, that will be something in the moment. And all of that is kind of make sure it's not medical, dental and there's no damage to be aware of. Make sure you're managing your reactions using distraction and redirection in the moment. But there is that bit of, well, why is she doing it? (laughs) You know, what's what's underpinning it? So, I mean, it's actually not all that uncommon in toddlers to do things like this, to suck on their fingers, to make themselves sick. And it's part of exploring all that their body can do. Mm. And in this early stage of childhood, she's still only three years old. It's also a way of exploring that boundary within the body of what's outside, what's inside, because she's finding a way of taking her hands from the outside, putting them inside, <laughs> inside and taking yes. the vomit from the inside and bringing it outside. But kids play with that at this stage. Yeah. You know, we talk about, you know, that sensory messy play that I feel like I mentioned quite a lot, but it's partly because of the age group of kids sometimes that we hear about. That's stage one developmental play and underpinning all of that sensory messy stuff is understanding and internalizing that we all have a skin and it contains us and it marks a boundary on our bodies where we end and the world and people outside of us begin. So playing with inside, outside, internal, external is actually, it's why I I remember I said about kids love boxes. Mm. They have clear insides and outsides. They can climb in and out. Mm. It's very much playing with those themes. So I would also say to you, really increase all of that play with her. Lots yeah. of empty cardboard boxes coming her way this year, you know, for yes. Christmas. You can save yourself <laughs> you a can't fortune. can cardboard box, um, it must but be But keep all of the delivery boxes, anything that's coming, ask a local shop to keep you a few and really play with those, you know, t- draw things on them, turn them into cars, drag her around them, let her fill them up, empty them out, climb in, climb out and lots of sensory messy play and playing indoors and outdoors and letting her with... Just like a baking bowl is fine. Go outside, gather up some leaves, little twigs, little whatever she can mm. gather up outside and bring the nature bowl inside after a while. So she's quite literally bringing the outside in. Mm. So you're just going to play with all of those themes with her as a support to this.
0: Yeah. My 15 year old has a small circle of friends. The four of them have been as thick as thieves the last number of years, but I've noticed lately that she hasn't been going out with them uh, as much and has been staying in with us at home or in a room alone. I have offered to drive her to meet them or bring them all places over the midterm as a group, but she turned me down and said she doesn't want any help and wants to be at home for the break from school that's not really her she's also come out of school alone which again is odd for her as you normally have to pull up uh, pull them apart at the end of the school day. I know something has happened and she wouldn't be one for confiding in me with all her deepest feelings but I'm sad for her that she's going through something and is alone. How do I offer her support without being obvious about it and upsetting her? To her, I'm the annoying mam who's sticking her nose in where I know I can offer some help if she gave me the chance.
1: Oh, I mean, so many parents will identify with that dance, Mm. that line of I want to be interested, I don't want to be intrusive, it feels like a fine line at this age and actually I can think there's a lot going on here. First of all, You don't want to be obvious about it, you know, in case you upset her. I'm actually going to tell you to do the opposite. Be obvious by being honest, you know, exactly like you've outlined in this letter, which is calm and clear about you've noticed this, this, this. It's not typical for her. It's a change in her behaviour and you are concerned. So you can tell her what you've seen. Now, do it obviously in a calm, clear way. Even, you know, you pick her up from school by the sounds of this. In the, on the journey on the way home and you're sitting, you know, in parallel in the car, just say, gosh, you know, I've noticed you're coming out of school on your own. It used to be you and the girls. I've also noticed you're not hanging out with them as much. I'm wondering, has something happened? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but I just want you to know that I'm more than willing to listen. And I've had some experiences with friendships, ups and downs over the years. And maybe I could listen and support you through it. You're not mm. saying I can help you. Fix it, rescue. You're not going in going, I really want to forensically know what's going on here because it's that balance of don't be too eager because then you cross from interested to intrusive. Yes. So it's curiosity over certainty. And I think that's also worth noticing here, because I know you're kind of saying, "Mm, change, change, something has happened. But friendships do change at this age. You know, it's not unusual for teenage friendships. They've been really tight and connected all the way, even through primary school, into these first couple of years of secondary school. And it's like over the summer break. Obviously, we're coming out of that into half term now, you know, that Things just change because they Mm. mature at different rates. So it might be that within her own friendship group, there's been a split in terms of we don't relate to each other as well as we once did. I don't feel as connected. So it may not be that there's been a row, a thing that has Mm. happened. It may be something about friendship patterns changing and evolving. And I don't say that to minimise this because actually... Changes in friendships at this age can be incredibly painful um, and it can really feel like a loss. So I would say, you know, watch for any other changes in her behaviour. You know, if she was retreating over and above what's normal at this age into her bedroom. If there were any changes to her eating pattern, her sleeping pattern, again, that would be not typical because teenagers do sleep more, they stay more in the room. Some of that is normal. You're looking for what is over and above mm. and what is a sudden, otherwise unexplained change in behaviour. But I do think that if you just talk to her and say that, you you know, you're here to listen um, when she's ready to talk. So you're going to make yourself available, but you're not going to chase this.
0: Yeah. And there's every chance she will say thanks, but, you know, not she might th- in the moment yeah. go,
1: nothing's wrong and dismiss you and mm. it might be a day or two later that casually she might say, you know, something has happened, but she will be the one initiating it yes, then. Yeah. But you're laying the groundwork. It's all about keeping the doors of communication open at this age. Um, and just sometimes as parents of teenagers, we have to tolerate not knowing.
0: Yeah. But I mean, based on what you said then, because, you know, you jump to the doomsday scenario, these, uh, the other three have somehow excluded my daughter. Uh, but might she, ma- she may all. have said... Uh,
1: It might not be that at all, you know, and I work a lot with teenagers and this can come up where they just don't feel a fit with their group anymore, Mm. that they're just different interests have come up, different ideas of socializing, different, you know, ways of hanging out and being together and they're just not feeling a fit anymore and again that can be really difficult Sean because if your whole social group is this group of friends and you don't have friends in you know activities that you engage in outside of school or your typical peer group or your neighbourhood, actually you know you have to learn a new way of socialising and connecting with others and it might then be about expressing curiosity about who might she feel a connection with and supporting new interests and friendships with her. God, it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Uh, My little
0: boy who will turn five in November is terrified of dying. This came to a head while on the second to last day of our family holiday in Centre Parks, he was absolutely inconsolable, bawling, crying and genuinely terrified. He kept saying that he didn't want to die and was scared of dying and asking me to help him. I think there was an element of being totally wrecked following a really active holiday, but I must feel there must be something he's worried about. Mm. To give you some context, we are quite open about death and speak about it at home. About three, three years ago, my brother died by suicide. My son was very young and doesn't remember my brother, but he's very aware of him being part of our lives. There have been other family members that have also passed away. He is aware that when I get upset, particularly about my brother, he's conscious of certain songs that trigger me and will often go uh, to turn off the music i'm wondering if he needs some play therapy to work through this or are there any other suggestions
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's the language in this that just jumps out at me. He's terrified, bawling, crying, inconsolable. Mm. Like, this is very strong language. I think, you know, children between four and six years old do develop a fascination with death. It's quite typical. We get it a lot, actually, coming in on questions here. And that can be even if they haven't experienced a loss. They're just curious about it. And it can even feel like a morbid curiosity the way they go on and on about Mm. it. But they don't really understand the permanence of it. And that can be a very scary thing to be confronted with before you're developmentally able to process it. So I actually I think it's really good that we do in our families talk about death and normalize all of that. But when we talk about it, we have to be very clear about the language we're using and we're not saying passing away going to sleep, no longer with us, we've lost so and so. Because a lot of that language is because it's a difficult topic for us adults to talk about, especially when it's such a personal loss like this one is. Um, But we do need to kind of talk about it. We don't want to over talk about it and we want to be led by our children. When they have curiosity and questions, then we answer them honestly, but developmentally appropriately as well. And I do think that, you know, there's a couple of things you could do that when you're crying about a song, OK, if there are trigger songs here and, you know, make sure you're minding yourself as well. If you're you're being triggered by music and triggered by yeah. other things, it is OK to take time and say, I deserve a space where I can work through that loss of my brother, too, and to lead by positive example in that way. But you could also tell him that they're memory tears that when you cry like that, you're remembering somebody and so mm. those are memory tears because our children don't like to see us sad. It's yes. good for them, by the way, yeah. to know we can be but they will want to make it better for us. It's yes. a very natural thing. But if you say no, these are memory tears and start speaking about memories after a loss and death. So, I mean obviously there are there are endless books in this area but a couple of really good ones I've mentioned The Invisible String because it can be helpful for children to mm. think about staying connected even when some but he isn't with them anymore. I also do like Britta Teckentrop books in general, and she has one called um, The Memory Tree, which is a lovely story about this. And in the Big Emotions series of books, there's one called um, When Sadness comes to call or came to call. It's something like that, very easily found. And again, it's a really nice way of talking about sadness, loss, memories, how we remember people to stay connected with them. Thematically, it would suit a lot here. But when he is upset about this, when he's terrified and inconsolable, I'm curious how this parent responds to him. So be very careful that you don't minimize. There's nothing to cry about, that you don't offer assurances very generalized like, Nobody's going to die. We will never leave you. Mm. Don't look at absolutes. So we're not going to minimize, dismiss or rescue him. But you're going to listen with acceptance and empathy because actually these are scary things to think about. Yeah. And they are overwhelming things to think about. But you can, after you're listening to him, reassure him that he is healthy and well, that all of you are healthy and well and you live a life to stay as healthy and well as you possibly can. And that death is not something that your family is dealing with right now. So that you offer him that reassurance because he seems to be developmentally curious about it, but he's also running with it because there is a real context in this family for that loss.
0: Because, but as you say, that like so many kids, and we've got so many questions. So many about questions. The, and, and, you know, as you said, it was it's kind of a general, hmm, uh, um, you know, we're getting a lot of it in, in our house at the moment. But he seems to realise that, that that's, that's the difference here. Yeah. So he's that's a, why he's not even five years Exactly.
1: So that. that's why I'm curious about how have they spoken about it, the type of language used. You really want to be so clear. Like try saying everything in ten words or less at mm, this age yeah. and if you can't say it in 10 words or less change how you're saying it but don't use any vague or ambiguous language be very clear about what you're saying and what it means and that then when he's upset that you stay with him in that upset and support him in finding his way out through it
0: yeah Right, uh, one last quick one. Our eight-year-old daughter begged and begged us for months for a guinea pig. When I say beg, she seriously campaigned for this and had a presentation and everything for us. <laughs> we agreed that she should have one for her eighth birthday. She had her birthday in October and that's when we realised she was allergic. When we would go to visit the pigs in the pet shop, she never had any symptoms, but prolonged exposure has really hit her heart. She, however, refuses to acknowledge that the sneezing, streaming eyes and coughing fits are anything to do with the pig. She loves this animal so much and I know we'll be absolutely heartbroken to have to get rid of her new pet. Is there a gentle way of doing this rather than taking the guinea pig away when she's at school, or am I best to rip off the band aid for the good of her health?
1: Now ripping off the band aid is not giving away the guinea pig when she's at school. They are not the same things okay, I <laughs> just be clear about that. I, I look this is a hard choice, a hard action. And she will find it hard. There Mm. is no middle ground here. There's no way I can say, do you know what's a great way to do this? There isn't. She's going to be upset. She's going to be distressed. She did a presentation for this guinea pig. She really wanted it. And it's actually through having the guinea pig that you learned this about her that she has this sensitivity, this allergy. So there is really no way around it. Um, Help her through the feelings rather than around the feelings. Don't give it away when she's not there. She has to be a part of that. I am curious. Could the guinea pig move to a family member where she might infrequently see it mm, you yeah, know, and know yeah. that the guinea pig is, is there okay, yeah. and, you know, even through video call would someone, see the guinea pig. But uh, you're just going to have to sit her down and say, this is absolutely devastating and really, really hard. But the guinea pig has to go for the good of her health. And here's the plan of how you're going to do it. And she gets to say goodbye. And yes, she's going to be upset afterwards. She really is. Um, So you have to support her with that. But I don't have a magical answer to this because this is just painful. You know, losing a pet in any way is painful. But she's got this pet that she campaigned for, that she worked for. And now, she, now that she has it, she can't keep it. And she may
0: feel it's her fault that the guinea pig that has it, because to Because she's away. allergic. Yeah.
1: But actually you're reframing that and saying, you know, look at what our guinea pig has taught us. We didn't know this about you. And now we do. Mm. And we're really grateful to the guinea pig for that. But the guinea pig needs to be with somebody who can hold it and play with it without getting unwell.
0: Yeah. God, I hope she's not allergic to any other animals because I, know, I imagine there might be another too. presentation it on the It might be worth
1: visiting a paediatric allergist mm. on this mm. as well and just seeing, you know, you may have to eliminate the idea of pets or certain pets and it's better that you know this because I think there could be a secondary campaign coming your way otherwise <laughs> as a compensation. <laughs> and
0: a goldfish won't do, I'm thinking. Joanna, Thanks a million as ever. <laughs> yeah. Joanna Fortune, there you